I'm going to read from John's Gospel, chapter 6, starting at verse 25. John 6, verse 25. Jesus had just uh, a few uh, hours before fed the multitude, 5,000 people on the hills uh, overlooking the shores of Galilee. And he had sent the disciples across the lake and said he would join them later. And when they came, they found Jesus. They found Jesus, and this is what they said. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You were looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said from now on, give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you are incredibly patient with us and you desire very much that we are in relationship with you, that we might be those branches that you have created that bear fruit, that are green, that are fruitful. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit will teach us, that you will speak to us this morning wherever we happen to be with you and you will draw us closer to yourself. Thank you that you love us more than we can ever imagine. And that's why you pursue us. Because you care. So will you breathe into this word your presence and your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to try and um, talk a little bit about following Jesus in a world where there are a lot of other things to follow. And in a world where even in the Christian or spiritual world, there are a lot of voices, and there are a lot of truths, and there are a lot of um, things to attract or distract. And I think one of the ways we can uh, also think about this, is we live in a very interactive culture. Everything's interactive. You have computer games, you have everything interactive. Interactive means... I don't sit and listen for too long like you, you have to endure now. But you get to question, you get to speak back, you get to press the buttons and things flash on the screen. And God is actually highly interactive. And I don't think he really likes this too much. You know, me talking to you for too long. So you probably agree with him on that. <laughs> but it's difficult to get interaction at some point because part of interaction is also not just sharing one's uh, feelings, but also learning together. And, and you see this interaction happening 
between Jesus and his disciples. The way he taught his disciples was they went with him and wherever they went, they were questioning him, interacting all the time. It's one of the keys and the clues to Christian growth is interaction. Interacting with God, interacting with one another and interacting with Scripture. The overarching theme that I'm trying to tie together this morning is a controversial one. And it's one that offends people and will offend some of you. Got your attention anyway. And that is that my cherry tree back in Parksville is in Parksville. And it was called to be a cherry tree. There are lots of trees out there, but it's a cherry tree. And the only way it is a cherry tree is because it stays in that garden. And one of the things that when we talk about interaction, and the thing that I'm challenging today and, and, and um, speaking to powerfully, I hope, is that if we're going to grow as Christians, we have to be connected and rooted. And the interaction that is killing us and killing the church is an interaction that isn't rooted. And you interact without roots when you wander from place to place or you go, you live on the internet. That is not life. Because God said, love God, and He said, love one another. Because they balance each other out. And one of the reasons why we don't grow in maturity is because as soon as it gets tough, as soon as we hit something that's challenging, we leave. And we spiritualize it. But I will bet my life that if I and you interviewed about our lives, you will find that truth right there. That underneath, it's what are you avoiding and what you're struggling with. I'm struggling it as I think about you know, dealing with the Anglican Church. There are lots of ghosts that I'm having to deal with. So I'm not just speaking, preaching to other people about their issues. I have issues. And part of it is saying, well, who's Lord? What does Jesus want me to do? Does he want me to do this or does he want us to do this? And we have to wrestle with it. And that's part of our growth. And Jesus was interacting with his disciples and they were continually mystified. And one of the things about beginning to deal with God or to ask questions about God is to get used to being mystified, get used to being puzzled, get used to being frustrated. It should be that way. So many of us stop our growth with God because we say, well, I don't believe that, I don't understand that. And you go, well, of course you don't. But what have you done to try and ask the question? The interaction is ringing me up or somebody and saying, I don't understand this. What does this mean? How the heck do you make sense of this? That's the interactive part. The interactive is pursuing questions, is asking questions. And so, they were mystified and they said to Jesus, how do you get to this place? And they were wanting to know about miraculous signs. And Jesus responded in a very strange way because he said to them, I tell you the truth, you were looking for me not because you saw miraculous, miraculous signs. They'd just seen a little boy give Jesus bread and loaf, a couple of fish and some bread, and he picked it up and he made it into enough food for 5,000 and then there were 12 baskets left over. Now one of those is showing the, the, the care of God for the hungry. One of them showing, is showing that God is able to supply and he supplies generously. He gives more than is enough. And Jesus says, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill, that's why you're looking for me. And he, he said to them, 
You think you're looking at, for me for miracles, but what I gave you was not just bread. I gave you something in that bread that sustained you and, 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 and touched something deep within your spirit. That is what's causing your hunger. We're often looking for miracles and Jesus is saying, look for me and you'll find the miracle. And so they speak to him about this and uh, they say, what must we do to do the works God requires? Any of you ask that? What do I have to do to please God? What do I have to do, do, do? And he says, well, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who sent me. In other words, he said, uh, the work of God is this, have a relationship with me. How are you doing? What's your name? But that doesn't sound like work. That's not. Because God said, I, if I wanted work to be done, I would have sent angels. You're not efficient enough. My priority... I mean, you would be a pretty sad parent if you, were told, if you said, well, I have children, and this does happen in the world in some places, I have children so they can work for me. Say, so I have children because I wanted children. And God says the same thing. I say, he says, I, I want relationship with you because I love you. You're my child. You, don't, you might not know that. I might be an estranged father. But my awareness is I love you. And I, I, I really actually don't want you to do very much for me in order to have that. Out of that relationship, you will do things. But that relationship does not cause me to be impressed by you. And so Jesus was saying to the disciples, he said, your work is to build a relationship with me. And one of the core uh, values uh, of, of becoming a, a vibrant, fruiting, uh, fruitful, cherry Christian tree is being rooted in Jesus, in a relationship with Jesus. It sounds so simple in one way, it sounds so simplistic in one way, but that's pretty much the base of every friendship. If you want a good friendship, if you want a good marriage, if you want a good anything to do with anybody else, you've got to respect them, listen to them, care for them, share your life. You can't share your life with others if you're not finding life with Jesus. And so Jesus was saying, the work of God is this, believe in me. Keep close to me. And at this time, they didn't know he was going to get crucified. He was the guy from Nazareth. He was the carpenter's son. He looked so ordinary. He'd just done something extraordinary. He'd taken some very ordinary loaves and fish from a very small, young, unprepared boy and he had transformed the ordinary into an extraordinary meal. And Jesus, in a sense, is saying, that's what I do. And I wonder if they wiped his brow and said, was that hard? You must be tired now. He goes, no, it's not hard. It's not hard multiplying and feeding 5,000 people. Because my father does it. He works through me. And I do what he tells me to do. And so it all just flows. And I think you and I spend a lot of time working really hard because it's really hard to feed 5,000 people on our own. We get burned out and tired and disillusioned. And one of the reasons we get burned out and tired and disillusioned is because we haven't hung out with Jesus for a long, long, long time. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're this guy. We're still Christian. 
So we're walking sticks now, or something. Or we might even be this, that it's even withering after five hours off the branch. We don't have it. We don't have the power, the strength, the ability to love like Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to do anything resembling who Jesus is without Him. And so Jesus said, you know, He says, Come, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I think He meant that. He meant, if you come to me, I will never leave you hungry. And I will never leave you thirsty. I think one of the ways we learn that is when we do get hungry and thirsty. And we have to believe that he will come through. And when he does, we say it's true. But if we're always hedging our bets and making sure we've got enough just in case he doesn't, we'll never know that he is faithful. Because Jesus prepared people to walk into freedom in life, not to learn about knowledge, not to just gather information. Gathering information doesn't make you a strong Christian. It'll make you arrogant, cynical, proud, all kinds of things, but it won't make you, it won't make you loving, joyful, caring, kind, long-suffering. And so I say, yes, I want that. I want love, joy, peace. I want to know the life of God. What's the problem for a cherry tree? It's kind of stuck where it's planted, isn't it? One of the problems is if God is God and He has a purpose for my life, then I can't be God. And one of our challenges is we sing songs like Jesus, Saviour, King, And he says, well then, am I able to use you? Am I able to shape you? Am I able to work through you? Am I able to prune you? Am I able to bring out the fullness of all that you are? Because my cherry tree left on its own without any pruning just grows big and the fruit becomes less and less. And so there's a very core principle if they are my disciples, they will do what I tell them to do. And there's a, there's a principle about obeying. There's a principle about saying, let God be God. There's a principle about yielding control in the garden. Jesus was so ordinary in the eyes of the people who saw him. They said, we want miracles and this stuff. You don't realize the Son of God is here. I am. They didn't have all the theology. For them... They were surprised by the ordinariness with which God spoke to them. And I would encourage us to realize that, that God will work through the most ordinary, ordinary, mundane stuff. And one of the temptations of evil, and one of the seductions of evil in our time, is putting glitter on everything and saying, this is it, and it's not. It's just glitter. It's cheap. There's a real phrase that says, the higher the gloss, the cheaper the product. Luke chapter 14, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, 
He sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. God gave us a vision of this a year and a half ago. He said, the banqueting table is before you, come and eat. What was the response? At the time of the... uh, But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. And that was it for them. There are opportunities, there are times where God says, come and we get too busy. And then we wonder why things aren't changing. Because it's not our agenda And if we follow our agenda, and I've told you before, I could write three books on this. How my agenda was so useless. How it led to death. How it led to wandering. How it led to suffering. How it led to pain. Some of us are less adventurous. We just have very polite agendas that, you know, do the same thing in the end. So Jesus invites us to share life with him. And I wonder what it is we expect. And I just want to turn briefly to Paul, who's sitting in prison. And Paul's an old man now, which would be probably my age in this life. You know, maybe his, his early 60s, possibly. And he's sitting in prison. He's been a Christian for 30 years. He's poured out his life, serving Jesus, following God, traveling all around Asia Minor. And he knows that this time he's not getting out of prison. He knows that he's about to die at the hands of Nero. There have been persecutions. There's a lot of hostility and violence around Rome. And the Christians are getting fingered as the reason for it. And he knows that he's one of the significant people who's going to get killed as a scapegoat for Nero. And he writes to Timothy, who's an adopted son. I mean, he starts his letter to Timothy, my dear son. And he speaks to him about following Jesus. Endure hardship. This is chapter uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. And he's traveled and preached for a long, long time. And he's living in a culture that is Greek and Roman. And he's living in a culture where the Greeks love to debate and the Romans are into power and authority. And there's now in the church, the church has been going for 30 years, there are a lot of different voices arising in the church. There are a lot of different flavors arising. There are a lot of people proclaiming things that aren't consistent with what the disciples heard from Jesus. They're having to start deal to deal with deception and false teachers. In 2 Corinthians, Paul mentions it earlier on. 2 Corinthians 11. I'm just laying the foundation for a a couple of points I want to end with. 2 Corinthians 11. I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your mind may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches the Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, 
You put up with it easily enough. But I do not think I am the least inferior to these super apostles. It's difficult to know how to speak to this, but it's just so prevalent. On the BBC this week, they had a documentary um, on, again, the, the, the inland revenue of the United States um, putting under review the televangelists. Because even the non-Christians can't understand how people who profess to be followers of Jesus, the one who had nothing, who was a servant king, can, like Kenneth Copeland, ask the congregation to come to the airport so they can pray and dedicate his jet so that he can wander around the world proclaiming the gospel. And we've got to the stage of tolerance in our church where we go, oh, ta ta ta, that's not... It's wrong. It's easy to say to the Anglican church, Oh, your issue with homosexuality is wrong. We won't belong to that. Well, look around the church worldwide and see what's going on. It is rampant with deception, with distortion, with wealth-driven missions. And Paul is speaking to that. And he's saying it matters. Do you think it matters? Yes. yes. Thank you. Why does it matter? It matters because human beings are very corrupt and human beings distort and manipulate each other very quickly. And one of the most dangerous cocktails is Christianity mixed with personal power. People will pick your pockets in the name of Jesus and leave you destitute. And if you're sick, they'll leave you sick and mail you a bottle of water. I'm trying to make this real. And Paul is in prison, a follower of Jesus. And I can't help notice the contrast. 3 verse 10, You, you, you however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose my faith, my patience, love, endurance, persecutions and sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and be deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the scriptures who are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. We have to move on. The question that I'm posing is how do we know who to follow? And how do we know what is true? And how do we know how to be rooted? And who do we trust? And I think Paul gives us some really clear guidelines. And I won't take, you know, I'll take another five or ten minutes and that'll be it. Three ten, Timothy three ten. You know, however, you however know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, 
persecution, sufferings. One of the ways we will protect ourselves from deception is to take seriously what Paul is saying to Timothy and says, don't swallow teaching, build relationship, because the character behind the teaching will root that teaching. The reason that we get into trouble in our own lives is because we cherry pick. I could go through, I could embarrass quite a few people probably, and you could embarrass me. But the real place where Christianity hits the ground is my relationships. You look at my life and say, John, how could you do that? How could you betray your marriage? How could you fail? How could you commit adultery? How could you be a sinner and still stand in a pulpit? You look at my life and say, what have you done? It doesn't measure up. And I have to deal with that. And I have to look you back in the face and say, yeah, it broke me. It broke my family. And I'm paying consequences for it. But Jesus is faithful. And so what you see is an earthen vessel and you also see the gold that is Jesus within. But the funny thing about this position is that it's usually one way. I have a lot of people holding me account, watching me like an ant under a microscope. And I look out over a congregation and I watch people and I've known a lot of people here now for a long, long time. And it's the same... Courtesy is not given back, which is, are you known? Will you allow yourself to be challenged in your lifestyle, on your attitudes and what you do? Are you willing to be broken? Are you willing to humble yourself and say, be rooted and let God grow you up? (coughs) I feel more whole now than I probably have ever felt. And that's a testimony to God. I'm not sitting here weeping. I'm not sitting here ashamed. I'm sitting here earning my stuff. Because that's the gospel. But what breaks my heart as I come back here is also, so what about you? Why is there so much wandering in and out, hiding things, pretending, spiritualizing stuff? The things that God is doing in your and my life are right in front of us. They're not about more information. They're about obedience, submission, servanthood, buying into building the kingdom in this place, serving one another, being honest, saying I'm hurting. And that's what Paul is saying, and I'm rooting this very, very deeply because I think it's true. You know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, love and endurance. And how do you do that? You basically live life together and you go along and you say, this is hurting, I don't know what to do with this and you wrestle together to find out how to do it. And you have lots of grace and mercy in the process. Does that make sense to you? Cherry trees and cherries grow on cherry trees that stay there when the wind's blowing, when the storms are, when the earthquakes, whatever. And there are probably many times they say, I wish I wasn't a cherry tree, I wish I was the apple tree. Paul says, you, know my, you have a relationship with me that you know. And he says, verse 14, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. You and I both know that the people who are most persuasive in our lives are the people we know best. 
And the reason many people around our lives are not Christian is not because they don't want to believe. They're just not that impressed with your life. And that's not a judgment. There's freedom in that. If you start owning it and saying, you know, I am not Jesus. I know one who loves me and that's the one I proclaim to you and share with you. But me, I'm screwed up still trying to work it out. But he's made a difference. Right? And so it's about relationship with Jesus. It's about relationship with one another that just says, uh, let's keep following together. And then he goes on and he says, uh, you've known the scriptures from infancy. It's interpreting and reading the scriptures together. Not this phrase that we bandy around that says it's biblical. Everything's biblical. But nothing can be true. And why does Paul say this? He says this very strongly. And it says this is his last letter to a man he loves as his son. I think it's important. And you can read this for yourself. But he says uh, in verse 2 of chapter 4, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We all need that. Great patience and careful instruction. But listen to this, instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, of course, those are always other people, aren't they? They're not us. But we might need to bring our ears before the Lord and say, do they glow or itch more than they might? But keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge the duties of your ministry. And I am fascinated and respect Paul so much because he's so courageous, he's so different. He's, he's facing his trial, he's poured his life into this work. And he doesn't end up with a Learjet in a mansion at all. That's why I don't understand how we can end up that way in our culture. He says in verse 16, At my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. And the Lord will mess, rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. I'm winning and I want to learn from a man with that kind of testimony who can write a word of encouragement to a young man while he's chained and facing death. That impresses me. I want to live like that. I want to be in a church that's like that. I want to live in a church that's not wandering backwards and forwards and as soon as it gets tough, what happens is we judge everybody else but when it gets tough on us, we run. I don't want to be part of that. I would rather be a wounded, uh, forgiven sinner than a self-righteous Bible teacher. But we actually give one another permission. How much people are part of your life is absolutely entirely up to you. Three points, therefore, as we leave. Know Jesus in your head and know him in your mind. And that's just God saying, hang, hang in there. 
Know Jesus in your head and know him in your mind. Read the scriptures. Alright? Know Jesus in your heart. The only way you know Jesus in your heart is is to allow him to move from your head into your heart. And that's why worship is so important. Worship is passion. Stay focused. It's not going to happen by walking around holding this. It's going to happen by engaging, interacting with it with others. This isn't going to become real in your heart without saying, Lord, teach me how this works. And that coming into your heart means I have to be humble and open to be emotional or non-emotional. And know the power and integrity of community. Be rooted in community and personal relationships. Does that make sense to you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you showed us what it means to be rooted as you lived on this earth with your Father. You showed us what life looks like when it is filled with your presence and your love, that there are, there's much fruit, love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, purpose. We're reminded that your disciples were told to follow you. And we pray that you will help us to follow you as well. We pray that we will be so hungry for the real bread of life that we will travel uh, to see you and to know you in the way we uh, wrestle with each other, we wrestle with your word, we wrestle with these truths. We pray, Father, that you will protect us from looking for shortcuts and we pray that we would appreciate just what you have offered and what you offer us here in one another that in the very ordinariness of our lives you promise to bring extraordinary things because you are an extraordinary God we pray Father that you will take something of what, we, what we've been thinking about this morning and uh, root it deep in our hearts not as a rebuke but as a, an encouragement uh, to to be who you call us to be. Thank you that you love us because you are the living God. And we pray against all that would keep us from you, all that would draw us away from you. We pray, Lord, that your spirit will settle upon us And we will allow you to be the gardener that works on our lives to bring about the fruit that really does feed others and bring you glory and honor. And as we come and break bread together this morning, we pray, Father, that you will just feed us, not just with the bread and wine, but with the presence of your Spirit. There's so much we don't understand, but we yearn and hunger for more of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.